Hello, I'm Amanda Decadene, and you're listening to The Conversation, a show where I talk to the people I find most inspiring about the issues and life experiences that really matter. This week, I'm talking to Playboy model, adult star, and content creator, Lana Rhodes. I really wanted to interview her to find out why she quit porn at the height of her success, how being a porn star impacted her mental health, and what she's focused on and passionate about now. We did we already start? Um, well, I'm like, <laughs> we have to put our headphones on, actually. We have to put our headphones. Are you, are you good with putting, wearing these? I usually don't like wearing them. We don't have to. Do we have to wear them? We don't have to. Let's not do it. Okay, so your name. You were born Amara Maple. Yes. Would you prefer that I called you Amara or Lana Rhodes? I just tell people, call me Lana because that's what everyone knows me by. But off camera, I would say I do prefer Amara. Amara? Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. What does Amara mean? It's actually a Sanskrit name and it means of eternal beauty. Did your mom pick your name? She did, yeah. But it was super random. She said that she was just vacuuming and the baby book fell out. And my sister's name's Amanda. The baby book fell out and it was open and my name was under my sister's name. So that's how she picked out the name. That is a beautiful story. So how did you come up with the name Lana Rhodes? Do you watch American Horror Story? Yes. I think it was the asylum season. There was a character named Lana Banana. And so I was watching that and I was like, oh, I kind of like Lana. Did you grow up with your mom and your dad? No. So my parents were divorced before I was born. They actually got divorced while my mom was pregnant with me. That must have been hard for your mom. I mean, she hates my dad, so I think... Maybe it was better then. Yeah, yeah, I think she's pretty happy about it. <laughs> so you grew up just with your mom My and mom and my sister, yeah. And then what about your dad? Is he in the picture at all? My dad wanted to be in the picture, but my mom was just, like, pushing him out. But we would do the whole weekend visitation and all of that. Did your mom have a job? Was she able to support you and your sister? Yeah. So my mom's very intelligent, well-off, well-rounded woman. She works in IT. And how much older or younger is your sister? My sister's three and a half years older than me. I read that your sister, um, is she diagnosed with schizophrenia? So growing up, they thought it was bipolar, even Asperger's, and now she's diagnosed with schizophrenia. How was that for you growing up with a sister who had severe mental illness? When I was younger, I didn't really know what was going on. She has not just schizophrenia, but a like huge mirage of disorders like trichotillomania. She also had eating disorder, bulimia, anorexia, and then she had schizophrenia. Um, so I would just sort of see all these scary things. I would see her without any eyelashes or eyebrows, and it would be like a scary monster to me. Like I wouldn't really understand um, or I would see her just like skeleton thin and I wouldn't understand why she looked like this. It was just really scary. It was almost like living in a house of horrors because I couldn't understand that she was mentally ill when I was younger. I just thought that it was this like person tormenting me. And your mom was coping with that by herself? My mom was working a lot. So I was almost like the older sister growing up. That's so a that big was... responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, and now I sort of feel resentful because I really shouldn't have had to fill those shoes at that age. How can you? Yeah. Even an adult with full consciousness of what's going on with their child, it's extremely hard to understand and to mm -hmm. know how to manage. Do you feel like 
you were given too much responsibility at a young age? I definitely felt like I saw things that I didn't want to see, uh, situations that I shouldn't have been in. I was scared when I shouldn't have been scared because there should have been an adult there to handle the situations. I, I just did the best that I could, but I wish that I wouldn't have had to go through those experiences. Because I was so young, I didn't fully know what was happening and I've always been a very resilient person. Do you have similar experience as this or? I do. Okay. I do. You know, for me, there was many years where I didn't even understand how the trauma was manifesting in my life and I would tolerate certain situations because I was desensitized to violence, for example. Yeah. And it was kind of normal to me. I mean, I hate to say that, but I was desensitized to it. And so I knew how to live with people who were violent or explosive or cruel or un unpredictable. Yeah. You know, it took me a while to work out, oh, I'm in relationships with people or I have friends who display these same character traits that I grew up with because I'm just kind of used to it. Yeah, it seems almost normal. And it's not. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, but that's the great thing is that if you've been in therapy, which it sounds like you were as a kid, right? Yeah, I had a, one therapist growing up, um, but I don't think I ever really let them in. I also just never allowed myself to be vulnerable because I was just like, my sister's the one with the problems, not me. So I never really opened up or took advantage of this situation. Would you say that you were lonely as a child? I wouldn't say I felt lonely until I got older. I had a lot of friends in school and I did um, cheerleading, all the activities. I sort of put everything into friendships and activities so that I wouldn't have to be home. How would your friends describe you, your high school friends? What would they have said about you? So I actually dropped out of school in eighth grade. That's sort of where it all started going bad and I actually started acting out and I went to prison as a juvenile from 16 to 17. Was it juvie? There's the there's juvenile facilities and then there's one step up from that which is an actual prison for people under 21 and so that's where I went and I spent a year. I was supposed to be there till I was 21 but I luckily you know got to leave early. Did you have a boyfriend at that time? that's when things started to go downhill oh, was when I got a boyfriend. Yeah. yeah. Always trying to cause trouble. Did you pick someone who was a troublemaker? Well, I think I was just looking for anyone like. And, Get me out of here. Yeah. And so yeah. I found literally the worst person possible who was a con artist. They were in a gang. They were a thief. And I initially was like, I want no part in this, but I like you. And this person took pride in like, sort of manipulating women to do stuff for them. I wasn't the first girl that they got into trouble. They had another girl steal a car for them. They would um, constantly convince girlfriends to steal stuff with them, etc. I actually never stole anything with him, but he did get me to come with him to do things. And I got charged as the same charges as him. Wow. What was the incident that you got arrested for? So he and his friends would steal anything. But the bigger charges were robbing houses and burglary from motor vehicles. Mm -hmm. And you were with him when one of those things happened? I was with him for multiple things. I had about 10 felonies just simply from being with him. Never stole anything, never gained from anything, just simply from being with him. Okay, so he was caught 
doing something and you were with him and tell me what happened. Yeah. So me being extremely stupid, I'm what, like 15 at the time. He's 18 or 19. Can I just say Maybe something? older. I don't know that it's stupidity. It may have just been desperation and you yeah. wanting to. Yeah, I think it was yeah. desperation. Yeah. I just wanted this person to love me. Nothing wrong with that desire. Yeah. I it's mean, who we pick that can be the problem. That's, I mean, this is to a really unhealthy degree, though. <laughs> don't be with him when he robs a house and certainly don't do this after the fact. They're like, you need to take the blame for all of this because you're a juvenile and we're 2021 20, and we will go to actual jail. They were like, you're not going to go to jail. You're just going to get a slap on the wrist. So I initially said that I did everything and the police found out that I didn't do everything, but I still got charged for just being there. They all got arrested and like they went to jail. I ended up going to prison. Hmm. Like, how is that fair? <laughs> well, it's not. Yeah. It's absolutely not. And how did you feel in that moment when you knew you were going to jail? It was sort of a surreal moment when the judge said that I was going to be in prison from 16 to 21. It was just unfathomable to think that I would have to sit in a jail or prison for that long and just watch the world move around me. I mean, that is devastating. And what happened when you were in there? It was definitely a shocker. You know, they don't take good care of the facilities. You're eating the most garbage food. Like, I remember there were leaks in the ceiling. Like, I would be getting rained on while I was trying to sleep because there's leaks in the ceiling. There's bugs all over. Like, it's a complete shithole. Mm -hmm. There's also a whole different culture in there, a lot of fighting. So how did you take care of yourself yeah. so that your mental health did not deteriorate rapidly? I mostly stayed to myself, but for me, it's always been, whether it was with the situation with my sister growing up or having to spend a year in jail, I've always thought about the future and I've used that to get me through hard situations. So I do a lot of journaling, a lot of planning. I also had just like this piece of paper I would mark off every single day for 360 days. <laughs> what was your plan when you got out? So I got into watching the girls next door of Playboy and just Anna Nicole Smith and this porn star Savannah and Jenna Jameson, watching documentaries on them, thinking, wow, they're so amazing. Their life looks so much better than mine. My plan for when I got out of jail was to pursue that. So that's exactly what I did when I got out. Why do you think you gravitated towards those women in particular? I don't know. I just remember seeing them and thinking that their life looked so perfect and they were so beautiful and they were everything that I wanted to be. But I never really took into account the things that they actually had to do to be who they were. I just saw like that image of them. And they all look so happy and then they're really not. I'm wondering if there were other women role models that you looked mm -hmm. at. Were there any kind of movie stars or musicians or was it just... It was mostly sex symbols. Why do you think that was? I have no idea. And how old were you when you started thinking, oh, that, that's a life that I want? Very young, probably 13. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're a beautiful young woman. I'm assuming that you had a lot of sexual attention at a young age. I actually didn't. I was a virgin until I was 18 years old. 
And I only probably kissed one person before that. So the idea of actual sex and what I ended up doing was just so far off for me. Wow, that's really interesting. It's weird. (laughs) Yeah. I actually only had one sexual partner before I joined porn, which is very strange. And then you also worked at a kind of Hooters-like bar. Yeah, so it's called Tilted Kill. It's a Scottish version of Hooters. As soon as I turned 18, I went to the strip club the day that I turned 18. So working at the Hooters type establishment was just because I couldn't work at the strip club yet. Was that the first time that you had used your body for financial gain? So I guess that was the first situation. Uh A lot of us will wear really slutty clothes and we're just wearing because we think that it's cute. We don't even realize that men are sexualizing us. When did you realize that men were sexualizing you? Sounds so naive, but probably only like maybe a year and a half ago. Even doing porn, it never fully registered in my mind like people are jerking off to me. I just was not able to think things through thoroughly or realize why people do the things that they do or why I'm doing the things that I do. It just, my brain just didn't process stuff like that when I was younger. Does it process it more now? Yeah, but. At the time, I just didn't think about those things. What was your experience stripping? Did you feel totally comfortable? What was going on in your mind the first day that you were stripping? I I didn't have really high self-esteem. I just, even getting hired at the Hooters type place, I was like, wow, they want to hire me. I can't believe I'm so lucky. I couldn't believe that men wanted to give me money to watch me dance or see me naked. Or any and of attention, that. right? Yeah, and the attention. I didn't know that I was that desirable. When you were stripping, did you deal with any kind of harassment there? It was a no-touching club, so I didn't have to deal with anyone touching me. It was a really high-end club. We didn't have poles there. We would do actual, like, performances together on stage. Have you been to Crazy Horse in Paris? Like, it's obviously not to that degree, but it was sort of a strip club mixed with the showgirl vibe. Mm -hmm. So it was less of a, like, raunchy, strippery. It was more like performance. Yeah, performance. We would do private rooms, but it was no-touch. It was, like, a very classy club. And the management protected you and made sure that nothing... No, you would get kicked out if you touched us. You had a period of time where you were getting high or drinking a lot, doing drugs. Was that during this time? No, that was before I went to prison. Getting out of prison, went completely sober, didn't drink, very, very straight edge. I was curious, like, how um, some girls I know have said that in order to be able to do some of the jobs they had chosen Mm -hmm. in the sex industry that they were definitely high a lot of the time. Well, maybe that's why I didn't last very long in the industry because I did two spurts four months when I was 19 and then another four months when I was 20. And after about four months each time, I would just snap and I'd be like, I cannot do this anymore. Maybe because I wasn't drinking, I wasn't using drugs and it would just become too much very quickly for me. I think that makes complete sense. I'm curious how you went from stripping into porn? Did someone recruit you? How did that happen? I reached out to agents and of course they were like, oh, we'll fly you to LA. And it happened pretty quickly. In the industry, the agents are supposed to work for you, but he made it very much like you are going to do what I say when I say it. I had a very bad experience with him. We clashed. He actually made me move into the same apartment building as him so that he could see what I was doing at all times. I started getting sick from shooting. He wouldn't let me have time off to take care of myself. 
When you say you were getting sick, what does that mean? Just, you know, general girl problems. Like bladder infections, yeah, yeast infections, really those bad kinds yeast of things. infections. And like if you don't treat them, it gets super painful. Oh, it's terrible. And after, you know, him letting me go to the doctor a few times, he started getting really mad that I had to keep going back to the doctor and taking time off. I also had another situation where a director tried touching me inappropriately on set and the director got mad because I didn't want to have sex with him. And so, of course, I'm not going to go back and shoot with him. So we then started talking badly about me to my agent. I got yelled at by my agent for not wanting to go back and shoot with this guy and all of those situations put together, I was like, I'm not putting up with this. You're not going to scream at me on the phone. You're not going to treat me like this. So I packed up and left and went back to Chicago. I'm sorry that you had that experience. I'm sorry that you were not listened to and not respected with what you had asked for. Did you lay out very clearly what you would and you wouldn't do as far as the type of porn that you were going to be doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at the beginning, I was being groomed by that particular agent from the time that I got in L.A. I groomed never for what? Groomed to do things that I never would have wanted to do, things more extreme than what I would have wanted to do. I originally only wanted to do girl-girl scenes, but this agent wouldn't take me unless I did boy-girl scenes. So I eventually agreed to do boy-girl scenes. I didn't know what a gangbang was, didn't know what a DP was. Or I don't any, know what a DP is. What is a DP? It's, it's double penetration. It's when you are being fucked in the vagina and your ass at the same time. That sounds really painful. There's also a level up from that that they really try to push you to do, which is two penises in your either asshole or vagina at the same time. That must be so painful. And so he would try to like talk up doing extreme things for cheap amounts of money and act like oh people are gonna love you if you do this and you do that and so it's sort of just like putting in your mind that that stuff is positive and if you give any fuss or say or have a higher rate than people they just talk really negatively about women who stand up for themselves women who know their value they would say that i think purposefully to make sure that you didn't try to do those things. It's interesting that they wouldn't want you to earn more money, though, because no. surely they get a cut, right? No. So the agents actually aren't worried about the girls or what the girls are making because in the industry, you're so disposable. You know, there is new 18-year-old girls coming every day. Um, what they care about is their relationships with the companies who are hiring the girls because the companies are always going to be around. The girls aren't. Sadly, that is true. Yeah. So they want to give the girls to the companies for cheap, make the companies happy, make sure the girls are willing to do anything and everything that the company wants them to do. And they essentially don't care about the women because they look at you as disposable. They just want to be the agent that the companies want to book the girls from so that their agency gets the most work. So there's no one watching out for you. There's no one taking care of you. There's no. no one protecting you. There's no one listening to you. What you feel and what you say does not matter because there is someone else who is pushing you and overriding you and manipulating you to do <laughs> what earns them the most money ultimately. Yeah. And you don't necessarily see it at the time. You think, oh, this is my agent. And everyone says that he's a great agent. But, you know, eventually, if you're somewhat intelligent, you start to catch on and realize that they don't have your best interest. However, I've always said this. I didn't say no. 
I always just said thanks for the work and had a smile on my face because I didn't want to let anyone down. So your feeling is that it was consensual because there was no way that anyone could have known that you did not want to do that. There were certain things that I really, really didn't want to do. I'm not saying that every scene was bad. You know, most were just like, fine, you know, like doesn't impact me in any way. But there were probably three to five scenes that were traumatic for me. And I knew while I was doing them, but I still had a smile on my face on the outside and acted like I did because I just wanted to make everyone else happy and please everyone else. When you're in porn, you mostly are isolated from other people in the community and you're just constantly surrounded by other porn people. When I hear girls talk that are doing porn still, I think that they're brainwashed. Like when's the last time you saw a female orgasm in porn? Well, they they do make you fake female orgasms just yeah but it's like the producers behind the scenes like orgasm now orgasm now oh my gosh yeah how did you know how what to do you're just like okay I'm just gonna pretend it took time like to learn from watching other people that I perform with like oh that's what facial expressions you're supposed to make right Uh, this is good dirty talk for this I was very mechanical during all of it it never actually felt like I was having sex Mm -hmm. that makes sense yeah so Let's go back to kind of the breaking point for you where you decided to stop and then restart. So I packed up. I went back to Chicago, went back to working at the strip club. I also was getting tons of offers after I quit for like a lot of money to come back. It was around tax season. I needed to pay my taxes. I told a company that I would do a showcase for them for four or five scenes for 50K and that I was just going to quit and not do it anymore. So I do the showcase and then now all of a sudden everyone else wants to work with me too. Everyone else wants to do showcases. Why do you think that was? Why do you think you were so popular? I don't know. The supply and demand, I was gone and they wanted to, you know, get me back and make money off me. It's so interesting. It's really like listening to you speak. It's like a commodity. Yeah. It's like you're a commodity. You're a thing and not a person. Yeah. And that's very much so. And if they can make a lot of money off you, you're just going to get booked constantly. Your agent's not going to realize that you need time off. They're just going to keep pushing you and pushing you. It sounds like the men are running the business. They are. And they shouldn't be. Because the women make all the money. That's why people watch is for the women. I think one of the main issues with the industry are the 40, 50, 60-year-old male agents who have been learning their craft, how to manipulate 18, 19, 20-year-old girls for a long time. And they know how to get you to do what they want for cheap and push your boundaries. Did you start to feel the impact on your mental health at that time? Or was it when you came back for that second round? I definitely felt it both times. But the second time around, once again, almost to the four-month mark of being in the industry, I just couldn't take it. But the second time, it was definitely worse. When you say it was worse, what do you mean by that? Towards the absolute end of my career, I started having panic attacks before doing scenes. I didn't know how to get out of it. I was very much in that people-pleaser mode that got me to do all the scenes Mm -hmm. that I didn't want to in the first place. And I did not know how to tell my new agent that, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. And so 
I actually ended up getting in a situation where I had a fight with my agent and a couple other girls, not a physical fight. It was like sort of like a jealousy thing. So they went online after this and like one of the girls scratched herself and said that I beat her up and I didn't. And the agency ended up siding with the other girls and dropping me. But in my head, I'm like, thank God I'm free now. And so that's that was the end of it. So you were relieved when that happened. Yeah, I was like so happy that it happened. I'm like, I don't have to do this anymore. It was like a brick lifted off my chest. Yeah, the universe was doing for you what you could not do for yourself, right? Yeah, and everyone was like, oh, poor Lana. She got dropped by her agent. And I was like, I'm living my best life now. Bye. And then when you got dropped, quit, that Mm -hmm. coincided at the same time, were you worried about how you were going to support yourself? I I was worried because I had expenses that I didn't need to have. Lifestyle. Yeah, lifestyle expenses. But around that time, I had met a guy in the influencer space, and he would tell me how much he was making from posting on Instagram or from his YouTube videos. And it was way more than I was getting paid to shoot sex scenes, way more. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go do this. And it's exactly what I did. I woke up every day. I grew my Instagram. I started getting brand deals through that and it worked out. I believe anything you want to do, you can do. You just have to wake up every day and reach for it. I think that's true too. You know, I'd beg my friends, hey, come here and take an Instagram picture for me. Studying the algorithm like this hashtag works for this or you need to post at this time so that the algorithm picks you up and you gain more followers. Learning to do shares and collaborations with other people. And so it was really just, you know, work and just doing something every single day to get there. So you grew your social. Mm -hmm. And was that a double-edged sword for you? Because so many people were probably following you because of your profile in porn. Yeah. And then as you became more successful on social, it probably reactivated your porn. Yeah. So that's viewership. exactly what happened. So I already had a few followers because they knew me from porn and I wasn't even really posting sexy stuff on my Instagram initially. Like it could be like makeup stuff or anything. But at a certain point, my Instagram, you know, was growing so quickly that I, after quitting porn, became number one on Pornhub. And I've been sitting at the number one place for years now due to promoting myself on Instagram, people finding me on there and then realizing, oh, I can go jerk off to this girl. How do you feel about that? I mean, I I wish that they couldn't go see that, but it is what it is and I need to accept it. That is the key. That is the key, right? (laughs) Yeah. Changing what we can and not being mad about the things we can't. How did you tell your mom that you were choosing to do porn and how did she respond? I didn't tell my mom. My mom saw online somehow. Yeah. And I remember she cried and the bar wasn't really high, I guess, because of one, my sister. And then two, I went to prison. But she knows that I'm a very responsible person. It's not like I was abusing drugs like I used to. I wasn't getting into trouble. I was now financially stable. So it was sort of like a balancing act. And so she had to sort of be more accepting than most parents would be of their daughter getting into porn, if that makes sense. Yes. I mean, it makes sense. You're saying that the bar wasn't very high. Yeah. And so she was relieved on the one hand that you were not doing, you know, you weren't... Things that could kill me or put me in jail for the rest of my life. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's an awkward topic to talk about with your mom. And she sometimes would bring it up to me and I would just, you know, try to brush it aside. And how about your dad? Does he know? My dad definitely knows. 
but he, I guess, knows better than to mention it. Looking back now, because mm-hmm. now you have some clarity on what is okay for you and what isn't, why yeah. do you think at the time you agreed to do it? After being in that environment and just surrounded in the community of porn and the agents and the producers and also other girls telling me, wow, you're so amazing for doing that. It became normalized to me that this type of sex is normal and people are going to love you if you do this. You're going to be so great and so happy if you do this. And boy, I was not happy after It sounds like you are really skilled at putting things away that are really hard to acknowledge to yourself. Probably. Like I said at the beginning, I'm very resilient. And that might be part of it is just not fully processing everything that happens. Yeah, I mean, resilience is this amazing survival skill Mm -hmm. until it's like it protects us when we're little from dealing with really traumatic things. But as an adult, it's like nothing gets out. Mm -hmm. but nothing gets in. That's the beauty in it, though, is that I went through these experiences. So now me talking about them and having that experience can help other women who are naive or, you know, came from a shitty situation, a broken home or trauma to see the downsides and not glamorize the sex industry. And, you know, I really just want them to draw from my experience. That's why I take the time to talk about it. Otherwise, you know, I would prefer not to oh. you know, have to go back to this place. But yeah, I just want to share the story and I hope that it helps people. So your social grew and now are you able to earn a substantial living from social? Yeah. So I'm just like any other influencer now. I have 15 million followers, so I get paid a lot if I'm going to do an Instagram post for a brand or a swipe up. I also have my podcast. We have about four to five sponsors every week. So I make quite a good living just off anything non-adult related. I still have an OnlyFans, but I only post lingerie pictures on there. Make a lot of money on that. I recently had a lingerie line that came out with a company called Yandy. And who manages that for you? I do everything myself. Good for you. Everything. That's great. My ex-boyfriend actually helped with the bigger contract for my lingerie line because he used to work in brand marketing. So he does all of that. I have to give him credit for helping with that one. Do you feel like after what you went through publicly, was there ever a part of you that wanted to just keep yourself out of the media for a while? Right now, The only way that I know how to make money is by maintaining my presence online and still living under that Lana Rhodes name. Someday in the future, I would love to just completely fall off the grid and have no one know what I'm doing or just be whoever I want. But I need to figure out how to get to that point because I'm not there yet. Do you feel like because of your past, it is something that is going to be hard for you to have? I mean, I obviously didn't have great luck when it came to dating, even before I did porn. It's like, oh, how could someone date her? Um, Wait, people said that. People say that all the time. I do think that it's harder for people to see me in that capacity as someone who could be a wife or a girlfriend or a mother. But I personally know that I would be great for those roles. I know that I'm such a loving person and someone would be lucky to have me. So I try not to think about those things. I mean, I'm sure, you know, the stigma is going to follow me into that. But I know that I will be happy someday and have those things. Do you 
truly believe that in your heart. There's, you know, weak moments where I'm like, oh, no, like me and my boyfriend broke up. No one's going to love me ever again because of my past. But it's just it's not true. It's not true. It's not true. It's not. It is not true. Yeah. Yeah. So the the thing that I run into now is just a lot of guys want to meet me. They love the idea of me. But I'm not looking for like hookups or sex. Like I want a relationship. So, you know, definitely a lot of people have the wrong idea and, you know, they'll hang out with me and it's like they think I'm just like some like sex crazed lunatic. But I'm like, sorry, I'm not going to hook up with you. But I actually have had in my past relationship, my boyfriend complained that he wanted to date me because he thought that I was going to be wild and crazy. And he was like, I ended up with a Susie homemaker. Like, I thought you were going to be completely different. I'm like, well, I never told you that. So that's on you for making assumptions. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> totally. And not seeing you for who you are. For who I am and who I'm putting forward to you. Right. So, yeah, that must be really tricky for people to have an idea of you and yeah. then get into the reality of being with you and is that hard that they feel disappointed that you're not someone who that they, they think you are i mean the person if they're feeling that way probably aren't that great themselves yeah that's great that you know that i also heard you talk about how you still feel that you have depression yeah i it gets really bad and it's mostly rooted in the the porn thing and the stigma behind it and sort of what we're talking about just like you know sometimes thinking that I'm not going to be able to have the normal life that I want with another person or just you know being accepted by society for my past a lot of it is rooted in that and it, it becomes a lot sometimes it is a lot yeah. it's a lot to think that there's a choice we made that we cannot delete, that we cannot mm -hmm. get away from. Yeah, and very, very public. What do you say to yourself when you're in those moments of despair? I luckily have a really great group of people around me right now. And so it's, you know, talking to them when I'm going through those moments. They've been in really dark times as well and have been there mentally. So they're able to handle it when I'm feeling that way. And I bounce back pretty quick. Once again, the resilience kicks in. And I'm back to normal the next day. <laughs> it's so interesting. When you say resilient, I keep thinking survival. Yeah. And what is the difference between resilience and survival? It's a really fine line. Yeah. You know, but you sound like you're able to kind of compartmentalize things mm -hmm. and I'm happy to hear that you have a great support team yeah it means the world to me and I don't know what I would do if I didn't have them to talk to in those moments yeah I mean I think that's the difference between people who survive and people who don't yeah it's just knowing that someone is there who cares for you and who values you and does not judge you okay so I am curious why you still go by Lana and not Amara. It's almost like Amara is a return to self. Mm -hmm. And Lana is a part of your life that gave you a lot, but also yeah. took a lot from you. Yeah. And I'm wondering why you would not, moving forward, go by Amara. So it's something that I'm starting to move into. People are like, oh, why don't you change your Instagram to Amara Maple? If I gave up the username Lana Rhodes, someone would take it and impersonate me. So it's it's nearly impossible for me to switch those things. 
But I have a lot of people now who got to know me on there through the podcast. They know me as Amara. So it's a transition, but it's going. I'm going to stick with Amara. (laughs) I really like that one. That makes sense. What is your secret hope? My secret hope? I would say what we spoke about earlier, just, you know, getting to that point of being able to fall off the face of the earth, have kids, be married, and live that very peaceful life. It's like my secret, you know, hope that I don't tell a lot of people about. We're going to put that out in the universe for you. Yeah. How could you be nicer to yourself? This year for me, I've been more focused on just like loving my brain, the way that I think and who I am as a person. Sometimes I'm hard on myself with, you know, how I speak, like with my podcast or do you sound smart enough and those types of things. Maybe just telling myself everything's not that serious. How do you feel about your body? Some days are worse than others, but what has really helped me with this is focusing more on what's internal in me. And that has helped me deal a lot. I think I have suffered from body dysmorphia growing up and, you know, in my early 20s. But recently, what's really helped me was focusing on building myself within and building my personality, building my interest, building my intellect. And that has helped me so much take the focus off of what's wrong with me on the outside. That also makes complete sense. It is an inside job, I think. It really, really is. And even if there actually is something wrong with your exterior, like for me, I have some botched surgeries because I was so insecure that I went and got them. I don't even care that my boobs look like shit now because I'm like, I am a great person and you're lucky to be seeing my boobs because of who I am up here. And I think, you know, it takes a while to get to that point because I didn't realize that till maybe six months ago. And it's completely changed how I feel about myself and my confidence. It's very freeing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people say, oh, self-care and love yourself. But no, really, self-care, love yourself, work on yourself. There's a thousand other ways to make yourself more amazing besides changing your exterior. Absolutely. You know, I have a lot of respect. Mm -hmm. for choosing to shed light on something that is obviously so painful. And I thank you for doing that. I was really impressed with your choice to be forthcoming and to share your experience Mm -hmm. because I, I know it's not easy. And I know like you would rather not go back to places that have been very painful for you. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's hard sometimes like to do the interviews and to talk about it because you have to then relive the experience to some extent. But yeah, it's just all about helping, you know, other people not make the same choices. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy the conversation, please support the podcast by commenting, liking and subscribing to wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And you can follow me on social media at Amanda Decadney on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.